But now he's going to speak to the church body. Okay? So watch what he says here. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Verse 7, casting all your care upon him. How many are you glad for this last statement? For he cares for you. Father, I love you, I praise you. Lord, just use this passage in our lives tonight for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, you may be seated. Well, if you'll notice here in verse number 5, he uses this phrase, likewise. Now you say, what do you mean likewise? Well, the word means in the same way. So what is, same way is he talking about? Well, remember verse 1 through 4 this morning, he exhorted the pastor of these individual assemblies uh, that contained these believers he was writing to that were being greatly persecuted. And he exhorted them concerning their call and their duty as a pastor. And as the shepherd is to submit to the chief shepherd, Likewise, younger submit to the elder. So he dealt with this idea of submission. You remember very deeply in chapter 2. He dealt with it from the standpoint of masters and servants, husbands, wives. And so he dealt with this idea of submission in chapter 2. Now he revisits it and now deals with it within the body of the church. So what does submission look like within the body of the church? And this is what he's dealing with here in this passage. So I want you to look first at the response of submission. Now you say, why do you use the term response? Well, because if you understand what God has done in calling pastors unto the church, then you'll understand what he's about to say in verse 5. In light of what God has done... This should be our response. And so I want you to see a couple of things here. The first thing is the command of submission. When he says here, likewise you younger submit yourself unto the elder, it's an imperative command. He's saying this I command you as the elder or the pastor submits to the chief shepherd, you submit yourself. Now, this command is something that you and I need to greatly understand because here's the thing. The command of submission here, he's going to deal with two areas in which he commands us to submit. And one is to God's placement. Now, you say, what do you mean God's placement? Well, most people, when they look at verse 5, they see the word younger and they see the word elder and they think it means that those that are young in age submit to those that are older in age. It's not what it's saying. Remember the context here. Elders is speaking of who? Pastors. And guess what? The word elder here is the same word used in verse number 1. So he's talking here about the presbyteros, those in which God has called. So what does he mean by the younger? Here's what he means. 
those that are younger in the faith, those that are younger in their maturity spiritually. He says, submit to that one that God has placed over you to be your spiritual dietitian that feeds you the flock of God. So that's what he's saying here. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, be always attentive that God has placed someone in your midst that is going to dissect, interpret, and help you to study the Word and therefore submit yourself, give yourself, if you will, humbly to the feeding of the Word in which that one that God has placed over you gives you. So let me put it to you another way. Here's the thing. The idea of the submission used here is speaking solely from the standpoint of this. The pastor's to feed the flock. But as I said this morning, the flock's got to be willing to be fed. And so the submission that's dealing with here is a willingness, a humility that says this, I must be fed. I'm desperate to be fed. I need to be fed. And God, you've placed one. Now remember, as I said this morning, this does not discount your personal study. But at the same time, as I said this morning, meditating upon the Word, that's your personal study. Then the other two ways God gets the Word is teaching the Word and the preaching of the Word. And that's the only three ways God gets you the Word. Now all that surrounded and confined within the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. Listen, I don't care if you meditate upon the Word, you're taught the Word, or the Word's preached to you. Without the Holy Spirit of God, it is foolishness to you. The Spirit of God has to make it real to you. But yet you have to be willing to sit at the table. So, let me put it to you another way. If God has placed people in our lives to help us to learn His Word, Every time I choose not to participate in that, I've chosen to turn down the meal God had for me that day. That's what it's saying. It's submitting to the feeding of the Word. Now you say, well, preacher, where else is this in the Bible? Well, I could show you several places. I put a couple of places on your outline, but let me just read one of them, okay? This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and look with me real quick at verse number 15. I beseech you, brethren, that you know the house of Stephanus, that it is first fruits of Achaia, and that they had addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Now watch what he does. That you submit yourself unto such. What's such? Those that are addicted to the ministry of the faith. You submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. In other words, Paul said, everyone we send to you to teach you truth, you give yourself to it. This is what he's saying. And so the first thing is, it's a command of submission to God's placement, who God placed as your spiritual dietitian. Secondly, it's a command of submission to God's people. Watch what he says here in verse number 5. He says, likewise, you younger submit to yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to what? You say, wait a minute. How can I submit to one another? Now, he's talking within the body of the church. Here's, the, here's why he's saying this, okay? 
Number one, how many agree God gives gifts to every person? Can I tell you what you're gifted at may not be what I'm gifted at and vice versa. Now, I have a different view on gifts than most, and I know I do. Most people think you can take a test and find out what your gift is. I got news for you. That doesn't fly. You say, why don't that fly? Because here's what you're gifted to it. You're gifted with whatever God calls you to do. In other words, God can gift you with anything he leads you to do at any moment, at any time. You say, well, listen, I, I'm not very good at doing this. Well, listen, if God leads you to do that, I promise you God's more than sufficient to enable you to do it. And so, therefore, you're gifted in this, but yet everybody in here, God wants to utilize in a specific way. And listen, how he wants to use you may not be how he wants to use me. We work in unity together, but all of us are gifted that God can use in a specific way, in a specific function. Therefore, if we're not submitted one to another, in that, I do not submit that, hey, God's not gifted me to sing. But I am going to sit on that front row, and I'm going to bellow it out, because I'm not singing to y'all. Are y'all hearing me say amen? But I'm not going to stand up here with a microphone and pretend I'm Shelby. Amen? I mean, I'm smart enough to know that's not my gift. So I must submit to those that have that gift. Therefore, he says you to submit to the spiritual dietitian God's placed over you, giving yourself to the teaching of the Word, but at the same time, you must submit to one another. Why? Because God has placed us together as a body, jointly fit together, that each of us would be utilized in a way God wants to utilize us, and as the body functions as one body, God accomplishes His perfect work. that makes sense? Say amen. All right, I want to make sure I communicated that. Because this is what it's saying. So in other words, there's a command of submission. Submitting to the one God's place and submitting to God's people. But notice the second thing. Not only do you see the command of submission in our response, you see the clothing of submission. Watch what he said. And be clothed with what? Humility. Now you say, well, preacher, what does this word clothed with humility mean? Well, the word in its original form means this, to tie something to oneself. Now you say, well, preacher, what does that mean? Well, it has this idea of tying to you an apron for work. So in other words, I'm to submit myself one to another. I'm to submit myself to the spiritual dietitian God has given me. And as I do so, I'm always prepared to be a servant and however God wants to use me in humility. Now, let me undress this for you just a minute. Y'all did catch the catch on turn. Be clothed with, undress this. Y'all slow tonight, aren't you? Let me deal with this, okay? So what does this idea of humility mean? It means lowerness. It doesn't mean that you are someone who is on a standard way lower than anybody else. That's not what it means. It's an attitude of mind whereby you realize 
that however God wants to use you, it's only by the grace of God that God can use you. In other words, it has nothing to do with your talent, has nothing to do with your smarts, has nothing to do with your ability. It has everything to do with the grace of God. And so to humble myself in this way is simply this. I clothe myself in humility, meaning that I am astounded every time God wants to use me in any way. In other words, I can't fathom why God... Listen, folks, I'm just going to be honest with you. I can't fathom why in the world God lets me do what I do. I really can't. And this is, this is what this is talking about. It, it is that attitude of mine whereby I'm submitting, and as I'm submitting, I'm yielding, and as I'm yielding, I'm amazed that God would choose to use someone like me. Now, I want you to listen to me. That's in every area of ministry. I don't care if you're pouring water at VBS. You bought it, be astounded, God gives you the power to do it. In every area of our life, we ought to be absolutely astounded that God would choose to use someone like me and like you. This is the ideal of humility, okay? Now, I don't know this, but it's very possible that when Peter, by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, was writing this, could it have been that in his mind and heart he had the picture of the Lord Jesus washing the disciples' feet? Because what does it say? He laid aside of his garment, picked up what? A towel. And began to wash their feet. And what did Jesus say? As I've done to you, so do to others. You remember that. Why? Because what Jesus did was taken up the form of the lowest of all servants of that day. And Jesus performed a work of humility. By the way, even to his enemies. And so every act of service you and I participate in, you ought to have this mindset. The only thing that makes any work is not me, but Jesus Christ. And I'm in awe that God would use me at all. Be clothed. So you see the command of submission. You see the clothing of submission. Then you see the conclusion about submission. Notice how he draws this idea of submission to a conclusion. For God resisteth the proud and gives grace to the humble. Let me deal with these two phrases separately, okay? First off, let me deal with the second phrase, gives grace to the humble. Now, this is a quotation from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. But I want you to hear me just a minute. You say, well, preacher, wait a minute. You teach us that grace is not something, it's someone, it's a person. And so you teach us that when God saved us, we got all of the person of the Lord Jesus. So how does he give us what we already have? Well, in this connotation, grace has this idea. Grace, in this idea, is the enabling of what God has given you. In other words, it's the favor of God upon you. 
So in other words, when I humble myself, when I see myself astounded that God would want to use me in any shape or form, here's what happened. God manifests his enabling power of grace, the person of the Lord Jesus in you, and now, supernaturally, naturally, he lets you walk in what he has for you. Isn't that amazing? God so works in your life that no matter what he calls you to, God is sufficient to cause it to be accomplished in your life. But what about those that are not humbling themselves? What about those that have a mindset that I have the right to choose what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do? By the way, that's pride. Or those that have a mindset, I'm smart enough to figure this out. That's pride. Because I promise you, you and I are not smart enough to do anything without Christ. Y'all say amen. And so, so what happens? It says God resisteth the proud. Now this word resist, it's a strong, strong term. The word is a military term. And it literally means to array an army against. Now you say, well, preacher, are you, what are you saying? I'm not saying anything. This is what his word's saying. His word's saying, though, now remember, he's writing to the church. He's writing to the saved. And you're saying God will array an army against the saved? I'm telling you right here, right now, yes, he will. You say, why? Because God will never, ever manifest himself in someone who doesn't realize that they're not worthy to be used but by the grace of God. And God will put himself against even one of his children. That doesn't mean that person loses their salvation. It doesn't mean that they go from being in no condemnation to having condemnation. It doesn't mean any of that. But here's what it means. It means that God will not manifest his enduring and enabling power in their life to function in what God's called them to function in. In other words, can I put it to you this way? Are y'all going to love me say amen? They become unusable until they realize they're not worthy, but by the grace of God. Are y'all hearing me? I mean, this is so important for us to understand. And so, so Peter is writing here, and he says, listen, God gives more grace. In other words, God enables, gives favor to those that are humble. But God will array himself again. Those that are proud. Isaiah 57, 15 expresses this. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I will dwell in the high and holy place with him also. That is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite one. Let me tell you something. Every day of your life, God is trying to break you more and more and more and more. Because the more he can break us, the more we realize how dependent we are upon him. Are y'all hearing me say amen? God's always trying to work death in you, death in me. Death to what? Death to self. Death to my own abilities. Death to my own way of thinking. Death to my own 
agendas, death to my own wants. God's always trying to work that in me. Why? That I would be available to Him without any pretense or any selfish motives. And this is what God's trying to do in our lives every single day of our life. Well, listen. So what have we seen? We've seen the response of submission. Now I want you to see the reverence of sovereignty. Because watch what he says here in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So now he picks up this word of humility, and he now gives it in the form of a command. And he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. What is this mighty hand of God referring to? It's a description of God's power, His sovereign power, His work that is always at work in us, for us, and through us. And listen, the only way I'm going to humble myself under His mighty hand is these four things have to be true in your life, okay? I want you to see them with me. The first thing is the acceptance of God's rule. You know what causes the most people the trouble? It's not that they don't want to love the Lord. It's not that they don't say they love the Lord. It's they love the Lord as long as God stays within certain parameters in their life. In other words, I'm never going to humble myself under the mighty hand of God if I'm not willing to accept the fact that God's in control and not me. God dictates my life, not me. God leads my life, not me. God gives me the words, not me. God directs my past, not me. I have to come to the place of accepting that God is sovereignly in control and He rules my life and not me. And if I don't, I'll never humble myself under the mighty hand of God. But not only you must accept God's rule, you must have affection for God's rule. In other words, it's one thing. All right, let me, let me give you an example. It's one thing to say this. Well, Lord, I don't want to, but if you're going to make me, I will. It's another thing to have such an affection for God's rule. God, I want you to direct me. I want you to lead me. I want you to govern me. Why? Because you're worthy. And you're so overwhelmed with the love of God. Listen, the love of God constrains you, captures you. And you're so overwhelmed with the love of God that the only thing, the only thing you desire is for God to control your life. Matter of fact, here's how you know you're walking there. You start getting a distaste for choosing your own pathway. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. God's got to work this in us every day of our life to the day we die. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Not something we're ever going to fully arrive at. But this is what it means. So it's not only accepting God's rule, it's an affection for God's rule. But then it's the appropriation in God's rule. You say, what do you mean appropriation? You've got to receive what God says by faith and walk in it. How many of you agree everything God does we are to receive by faith. In other words, if God leads me to this form of ministry, how many agree it takes faith for me to trust Him to accomplish it? 
So I must appropriate the faith that he gives me. And when I do, then I begin to walk in it. And not in my energy, but his. And so for me to humble myself under the mighty hand of God, I've got to accept God's in control. I've got to have an affection that God's in control. I've got to love it. And then thirdly, when God moves, when God directs, I've got to, by faith, appropriate in my life. I've got to be willing to give myself to it. And so these are the things involved. But let me show you one other, the awareness of God's work. You say, what do you mean the awareness of God's work? Because here's, here's what he said that he may exalt you in due time. Luke chapter 14, verse 11, here's the way the Lord put it. For whosoever exalted himself shall be abased, but he that humbles himself shall be what? So here's the awareness of God's rule. I'm to humble myself as a servant before a king. But then there's going to come a day that he'll exalt his church. How many agree there's coming a day, 1 John 3, as he is, so shall we be. And all of a sudden now, what does the Bible say? Listen, we serve, we serve, and then the Bible says we rule and reign with him. And now what do we find? We find that now we become vessels that as we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, as we yield ourselves before the spiritual dietitian God's put in our life, that as we humble ourselves and humble ourselves and humble ourselves, there's one day God will exalt His church. So what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying whatever submission is involved in your life, I promise you when you get to heaven, you won't look back and say it wasn't worth it. I promise you you'll say it was worth it. And so this is what Peter is saying here. Well, look thirdly and lastly. The rest of sufficiency. Well, one of the great verses in the Bible, but one of the mis most misquoted verses in the Bible. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, place yourself back in this day, okay? He's writing to these believers that are being persecuted. They're being driven from their own homes. Many a times, all they have is to grab what they can grab in their hands, and they go, and they know they're never coming back to their homes, just because of persecution. So how many of you agree today these people have a great burden, great concern, great worries? Okay? So what does he admonish them to do? Submit yourself, humble yourself. But always be reminded God is sufficient. So cast all your care upon him. Now, most of the time when I hear this taught, here's the way it's taught. You ought to cast today and cast tomorrow and every care that comes up, you cast and you cast and you cast. Well, here's the problem with that. It's aorist tense. And you say, what do you mean it's aorist tense? 
It means there was one time in your life you took all your care, all your, your needs, and you placed it upon the Lord Jesus. You say, when did that happen? When God saved you. So here's the, here's the admonition. You threw, the word cast means to throw. Throw it upon him. It's, it's translated in Luke this way, the throwing of a towel. And so when God saved you, how many agree today that whether you understood it or not, that you literally cast all dependence upon him? Okay? You threw yourself upon the mercy of God. You threw yourself upon the grace of God. You threw yourself upon the work of God. So guess what? The admonition is this. Don't pick up your own care. Don't let them disrail you. Because you've already gave them to Him. Now let me give you a couple of things here, okay? Because I want you to see this. Well, this, is a, this is the thing, the act of throwing. That day God saved you, you threw your dependence upon Him. So let me ask you a question. How many of you would agree today that no matter what comes up on my life, God is sufficient to take care of it? How many agree God's more than enough? Okay. If I have this event happen in my life, does it change the truth that God's sufficient? So why would you pull back the towel you threw up on him? See, this is a moment-by-moment -moment thing. Not the throwing or the casting, but the appropriating. That you cast your whole care upon him the day God saved you. So don't pick it up. Don't pick it up. Don't make the burden you gave to him your burden anymore. This is what it's saying. And so, listen, Psalm 55, verse 22, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee, and he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. What is he saying there? When you cast your burden upon God, here's the thing, the trust that what you did the day God saved you and allowing him to be your sole sufficiency, your dependence was upon him and him alone in every area of your life. Let me ask you a question. If he was worthy enough and powerful enough to take care of your sin, don't you think he's worthy and powerful enough to take care of your problem? So what happens is when you by faith appropriate this in your life, then guess what? God sustains you. God strengthens you. God enables you. God encourages you. God lifts your head up. God, listen, God gives you wisdom. He'll sustain you in those times. So every moment of discontent, discouragement, despair, Have you ever thought of looking at it this way? It's not mine anymore. It's His. You say, well, preacher, I get discouraged. I do too. 
Anybody else want to give a witness here? All right? But listen to me. When I realize that my discouragements are not to be my burden, because I've already laid myself, through myself, in the mighty hand of God. And here's what I find out. He takes my burden upon Himself. You say, why? Why would God do that? Well, you see the act of throwing, but notice the acknowledgement in the throwing. For He cares for you. Remember this morning I shared with you that if you love what you do, you're never burdened by someone asking you to do something? All right, listen to what I'm about to say, okay? There's never a time in your life as a child of God that you're bothering God with your burden. You say, preacher, you don't know what my burdens are. I don't have to know what they are. I promise you there's no burden you'll ever have greater than the one the Lord Jesus bore for you and me. So the question is this. Have you ever thrown yourself upon his care? Have you ever come to the place of saying, I can't do this anymore? But God, you never said I could do it to start. You just hand it over to Him. And then once you hand it over to Him, don't be an Indian giver. Why do we hand everything over to Him and then try to take it back? You know, Lord, I gave you all of me. Even in the elementary understanding that I have of that, the day you saved me, I gave you all of me. But Lord, this situation, it's so difficult. Let me bear this burden myself. Guys, I want you to hear me. We all have our humanity. How many agree we all hurt? How many agree we all worry sometimes? We all get distracted, discouraged, discontent. Our humanity we're not going to be perfect till we get to glory. Are y'all hearing me say amen? But when I try to take up my own a burden, you need to be reminded, wait a minute, but I cast all that I was upon Him. 
So Lord, would you forgive me for trying to take back what I already gave to you. Today you saved me. Now there may be a lot of people in here tonight that just have to be honest before God. Say, preacher, I remember the day. As elementary as I knew at that time, I surrendered all I am to all that He is. God saved me. But I just keep picking it up. I keep trying and trying and trying and trying to make it through my difficulty. God never told you to try to make it through. God told us to trust Him that He will get us through. Are y'all hearing me say amen? amen? So maybe you need to come tonight and just be honest before God. God, I have tried to take back what was given to you the day God saved me. Forgive me. But remind me that the day you saved me, your burdens are light. And I cast, I threw all that I am upon all that you are. And I'll leave it with you. Because that's where it belongs. It's not mine anymore. It's yours. One day, Ron Lynch was preaching a revival. His wife, Judy, was at home. His wife got up that morning, walked outside. Somebody had stole Judy Lynch's car. Judy calls Ron on the phone and says, Ron, just crying. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Ron said to Judy this. He said, let me pray. And here's what Ron prayed over the phone with Judy. Miss Judy told me this, by the way. Ron prayed this over the phone. Lord, somebody stole your car. What are you going to do about it? See, if Ron would have viewed it as his car, it would have tore him out of his frame. But Ron knew that he didn't own anything. It all belonged to him. Listen to me, church. If you're saved today, your burdens are not yours. They're his. Don't pick them up. Trust him. Why? Why? Because he's proved that he cares for you. And you're not bothering him in the least. Father, Father, I pray for just a Spirit of God movement in this place of honesty before you. 
Father, I pray that we just be transparent right here, right now, before you. Father, if we keep trying to pick up what we gave to you, Father, we would just come clean before you tonight. And Father, that you would remind us that you care for us. And that you and you alone are sufficient in our problems. You and you alone are wise in our problems. You and you alone are peace in our problems. You and you alone are the solution to our problems. So, Father, tonight, may we afresh and anew be reminded that if I'm truly saved tonight, all that I have, all that I am, all that I'll endure, all that I'll ever know, it all belongs to you. And we just say thank you that you would care for us enough to take our burdens upon yourself just because you care for us. In Jesus' holy, precious, and mighty name.